Chapter 2. The Prisoner of the Palace There is a prisoner in the palace. It's a strange turn of events, because prisoners are usually kept in prisons. But this one is contained in a far-off room, below ground level, in an unused corridor that only servants and the Fire Lord ever tread. There are very few servants who are permitted to serve the prisoner. There are whispers that the prisoner is a ghost, because he seems to the servants to be barely there. He hardly ever speaks, just quiet thank yous, after his hair has been brushed or food has been brought. He can often be found completely silent, staring at the wall or his own reflection with entirely blank eyes. This used to scare the servants, but three years is a long time to live with a boy who's scarcely more than a ghost. They grow used to his silence. Some servants still speak, holding up one half of a conversation as if it might be some small comfort. The boy smiles occasionally. When that happens, a tiny, faraway thing, but a smile nonetheless. He meets eyes sometimes and listens carefully. But even in those better days, when he's present and listening, he never responds to say more than thank you. Once, a very long time ago, the boy harmed one of the servants with his fire. The servant was burned up both forearms. Things moved in quick succession that day. The Fire Lord's footsteps fell heavy in the corridor. The servant disappeared, and the prisoner was ordered to be put in chains. The prisoner didn't even make it past the guards at his door. He hasn't attacked a servant since, but they remain armed nonetheless. There has been a whisper once or twice that the Crown Prince never left the palace. But there are always whispers in a place like this, and most are unfounded. The Crown Prince, after all, had been spotted on the deck of the Wani before she departed. The Fire Princess opens monthly letters from her brother, saltwater stained, containing handwriting and turns of phrase that nobody would be able to replicate. Every now and then, the Fire Princess writes back, about the Crown Prince's birthday usually, with thinly veiled insults and threats. The prisoner of the palace remains quiet, glassy-eyed, and barely there. The servants call him a ghost. The prisoner of the palace searches for the moon. He has a single window, high up on the wall next to the bed of silk and iron. The window is at ground level, high above him, and there is a small stretch of sky that he can see from the correct angle. Most days, he uses this to catch the sunlight and spend time in Agni's warmth. Now, he also looks for the moon. Zuko knows about the dream. He isn't stupid. He knows that his mind simply takes him to a story because his mind doesn't want to be with his body, chained to this bed. But somehow, he dreamed the dream away. He dreamed that he walked into the spirit water as Princess Yue ascended, and now he can't get the dream back. In Zuko's dream, he has everything he doesn't have here. He has an escape, the open sea and sky, his uncle's loyalty and love, a purpose. But now the dream is gone, and Zuko cannot sink back into it no matter how hard he tries. And so Zuko knows that he has never met Princess Yue. She is probably nothing like his dream anyway. He'd invented her in his mind, drawn her up as kind, as filled with honor and duty. She's a fiction. The real Princess Yue is out there still, safe and sound, and likely nothing like Zuko's dream. Which means that Princess Yue is not the moon spirit, and Zuko is grateful for this fact. But he still seeks out the moon, and on the few occasions that he catches it, he dips his head in an approximation of a bow. He imagines that she watches him kindly. 
He only hates her when father returns. Zuko tries to leave in his mind, tries to find his path back to the dream, but he cannot anymore. He's trapped here in this room, trapped in his body, telling himself, don't fight, it's worse if you fight. And he hates Princess Yue for telling him to let go of the dream. But he apologizes when he sees the moon again. I don't hate you, he says, looking upwards, pulling at the chains so that he can see the moon in all her glory. I'm sorry, you were only trying to help. And then he remembers that it was only ever a dream, and that the moon is a strange spirit and not a princess who felt like a sister, who felt how Zuko imagines a sister should feel, and he curls up into himself. The prisoner looks away from the moon. The moon does not look away from the prisoner. Days pass. The prisoner cannot slip back into the dream. He watches his servants as they arrive, flexes his wrists when they unchain him, and lead him to the washroom. Listen as the kinder servants speak to him. Zuko doesn't respond when they ask questions. They don't seem to expect him to. Father doesn't appear every night, but even on the peaceful nights, Zuko is too awake, waiting. Days turn into weeks. Zuko tries to leave himself when father's footsteps resound in the hall. He stares at the window and he thinks about the dream, about saltwater air, about chasing the avatar, about uncle offering cups of tea and ridiculous advice. The dream doesn't appear. Zuko continues to stare at the window, escapes his body emotionally, even when he cannot mentally, and waits to be alone again. Zuko gives up on the dream. He's moved on. They've had this conversation so many times now, Katara is starting to grow frustrated by it. It's what he was supposed to have done when he died, Aang, she reminds him. Aang doesn't look comforted. Katara sits by the fire and lowers the bag of rice they've bought. Sokka and Toph look up from where they've apparently been having their own argument, distracted by Katara's sharp tone. Sokka looks resigned to the same conversation. Toph looks confused, and it takes Katara a moment to remember that she never met Prince Zuko. Huh? Toph asks. I thought you went to get rice. Who'd you kill on the way there? Katara makes a face at Toph before she remembers that Toph can't see her, and then she feels sheepish. Nobody, she replies. We're talking about someone we met. Kind of before you met me? Toph asks. No, kind of met, Sokka corrects her. It was a super angry ghost of one of the Fire Nation princes. He chased us around the world trying to kill us. Um, awesome, Toph comments which is not at all what Katara was expecting. How come I didn't get to meet your angry ghost prince? Katara sits back on her heels. Because we helped him move on, she explains. Well, she looks at Sokka, judging whether or not it's appropriate to bring up Yue, and then decides that it's worth it to give Yue the credit she deserves. Princess Yue helped him move on. And I'm saying that it was a mistake, Aang interjects. He crosses his arms. I knew there was something going on with Zuko, and I asked Avatar Roku about him when I was in the spirit world, and Roku said, Yeah, yeah, Sokka interrupts him, leaning back on his hands. One spirit said another spirit shouldn't come home to the, you know what, maybe Roku just didn't want Zuko to be in the spirit world, because then he'd have to put up with him, Sokka snorts at his own joke. So he was hoping to pawn him off on us. Aang uncrosses his arms, and his face draws into a frown. Katara has rarely seen him this unhappy. Anxiety gnaws at her stomach. You don't get it, Aang insists, 
Roku seemed really bothered by what was happening with Zuko. It wasn't... Wait. He pauses, and then his eyes go wide. The spirit world! Sokka, you're a genius! Well, yeah. Sokka accepts, and then adds, What did I say? The spirit world, Aang repeats. That's where I'll find Zuko. I got there before. I can get there again. And then I'll give him Roku's message. It takes a long time for Aang to find his way back to the spirit world. When Aang is glowing, Toph asks, What was the message that Aang wanted to give the ghost prince? Katara bites her lip as she watches over Aang. Sokka shrugs. Something about fighting and not letting go? Toph pings a pebble past Aang's ear, and Katara turns a glare on her. Then Katara remembers that glares don't work on Toph and says, Don't disturb him. Wouldn't fighting and not letting go be terrible advice to an angry spirit? Toph points out, Exactly! Sokka agrees. They watch over the Avatar. Zuko finds the moon again. It's late, and a servant is brushing oils through his hair. Part of Zuko snarls, doesn't want to be kept pretty, wants to spit fire and cause destruction. But he's done that. Anger in this room only ever makes it worse, and there is no dream to express anger anymore. Zuko feels it turn up inside him, and gives it up, like he gives up feeling and thinking anything. And then his eyes catch on the mirror beyond his reflection and the reflection of the servant woman. He can see a sliver of his window from the angle, and through his window, the crescent of the moon. Let go, his dream had told him, and he'd done so. Let go, let go, let go. And then more quietly, you need to fight. Aang finds his way to the spirit world, but he doesn't find Zuko there. Avatar Roku appears to Aang, and when Aang explains, Roku said, If he was here, I could tell him myself. Aang feels himself slump. I didn't think of that, he admits. It is no mind, Avatar Roku insists, quiet and comforting. Someone else is delivering my message. Time passes. The prisoner stops counting days. He looks for the sun and the moon, and sometimes, deep into the night, he feels like the moon is looking back. You need to fight. Zuko thinks that he hasn't spent this much time feeling physically present in years. The servants don't seem to notice when he ignores them, and so Zuko continues to do this, even though he sees and hears everything. They bathe him and anoint him. One even encourages him to move and stretch, and Zuko moves as he has moved, and doesn't make eye contact, and imagines sun and sea, and Zuko is alone for long hours. Zuko pulls at his inner fire, just checking that it is still there. His routines don't include meditation or firebending, so he thinks the state of his inner fire must be messy, if it's even still present. His fire comes out orange-yellow, but stronger than when he is dreaming, because now it is real. Zuko stares at the flame on his finger, and thinks about meditating, just to give himself something to do other than stare at nothing and wish for the dream. He sinks into the flame, even though he has to keep himself from full meditation. He has to ensure that he hears the footsteps coming to his door. But for now, Zuko stares at his own flame, and lets himself have something. This is his. This is his. It feels, strangely enough, like fighting. Father's visits don't follow a pattern. Zuko has probably never noticed this before, too busy being lost in a dream. But he knows now, 
Any day, any time of day, he might hear those footsteps in the hall. Zuko misses the dream. He misses being able to pretend. Boy, father greets as he opens the door. Nobody calls Zuko by name anymore. Zuko stares at the wall and does not look at the looming figure in the doorway, even though he can't escape anymore, even though he's trapped in his own body. Father approaches. Zuko allows his eyes to unfocus, letting the world turn to a blur. I'll have you on your knees today, I think, father suggests. Zuko shifts from the bed to the floor. The chains clatter as they hit the stone. Father's hand trails down his face, almost gentle. Zuko wants to go away. He wants to go away. Zuko closes his eyes. It's the most he can do now that the dream has abandoned him, just like everyone and everything else has abandoned him. He closes his eyes, and he imagines being anywhere but here, on his knees, trapped in his body. Father's hand winds into Zuko's hair, grasping at the base of his phoenix tail. Anywhere but here, Zuko thinks. Anywhere but here. Anywhere but here. Zuko opens his eyes, and the sun is bright. The dream, Zuko thinks. But he isn't on the Wani anymore. There is no ocean. There are buildings, and the bright sun, and... Zuko feels dizzy. He takes a breath and thinks that he should sink to his knees before he falls. And at the thought of sinking to his knees, Zuko's stomach clenches like he might throw up. He reaches up to his phoenix tail. His hair is long again, all over his head like he wears it in the not dream. He imagines that he can feel the ghost of pressure there, and panics. Seconds later, Zuko doesn't quite remember reaching for his dagger. He remembers the slide of a blade through his hair. And he looks at his own hair on the ground, and thinks, that's better. And then he thinks, why is that better? Uncle, Zuko asks, suddenly overcome with confusion. How did he get here? Zuko wanders, looking for Uncle Iroh. He feels that he is supposed to be on the Wani, but... No, that's right, there is no Wani anymore. Zhao, the moon spirit. Princess Yue. Yue, Zuko says out loud. Princess Yue told him to walk into the... That's right, the spirit oasis. Because Zuko is dead, and Zuko needs to move on. Zuko looks down at his hands. It seems that he has failed to move on, just like he fails at everything else. Zuko wishes that Uncle Iroh was here, or that Princess Yue was with him. They would understand what is happening. They would understand why he isn't dying properly. And then a voice, possibly the last voice that Zuko expects to hear. Azula, Zuko says, following the sound. There's a crash and a flash of blue fire. Azula! Eventually, quiet falls. Ugh, really, brother? Azula asks as he turns the corner. She has both hands raised for an attack. The Avatar stands across from her, also poised for a fight. Zuko! Aang shouts, and then all but launches himself at Zuko. Zuko sidesteps inelegantly, muttering, Don't touch me. And Aang withdraws. You're here! You're still here! still here, Zuko agrees. Azula clears her throat. You know, when Uncle Iroh said you were gone and started following me around instead, I didn't really imagine he was lying. Zuko looks to Azula. She still has her hands raised for an attack, but she also looks like she's expecting an explanation. Zuko hasn't seen her in three years. She's so much taller now. Her cheeks are still a little rounded with her youth, but she looks like mother, and she... 
doesn't look good. Her eyes look a little too sunken, her posture a little too alert, her hand still on the way that speaks of conscious control rather than calm. He wasn't lying, Aang says when Zuko only stares. Azula raises an unimpressed eyebrow. You faked your death to give Iroh the slip. I didn't think you had it in you, she admitted. Well, Zuzu, we're here. The Avatar is here. Let's have a party. She nods like she's expecting Zuko to join her. I didn't fake anything, Azula, Zuko explains. I really am dead. Zuko wonders if he should be putting more weight on that statement, but he feels weightless with it. What does it matter anyway? Azula hesitates, and then scowls. We don't have time for games, Zuzu. He isn't playing games, my niece, Uncle Iroh calls. Zuko turns around, relief washing over him. Uncle, he says in greeting. Uncle Iroh wraps him in a very careful hug. I thought you had moved on, nephew, Uncle Iroh says, pulling back. What happened? Oh, cool, says the little girl behind Uncle. Is that the Ghost Prince? I'm Toph, big fan. Did you know you still have a heartbeat? You probably don't need that. Toph, another voice chastises, and Zuko realizes that they've been quickly surrounded by the Avatar's friends. Nephew? Uncle Iroh asks, very gently. Zuko shakes his head. It's okay. I know I'm dead. I remember the spirit oasis. I remember everything, he explains, recalling long hours on the Wani, recalling how he would usually disappear the moment before he realized that he wasn't really there, but not anymore. Zuko suspects that entering the spirit oasis might have grounded him more, instead of allowing him to let go. This is not as entertaining as you think it is, Azula says, but she falls quiet when she sees Uncle Iroh's face. Uncle? It is no joke, Azula, Uncle Iroh explains. When Azula just frowns at him, Uncle says, Zuko, perhaps you can illustrate to your sister by extending your hand. Zuko lifts a hand and takes a step towards Azula, who takes a step backwards with a glare. But Zuko knows Azula, even after three years of absence. He waits with his hand extended. Curiosity will overcome her eventually. How did this happen? Katara asks, voice hushed. I thought he moved on. Uncle Iroh sighs. Azula continues to glare. Ah, says Uncle Iroh. I suppose it is difficult to find a solution to a problem one does not understand. Zuko throws Uncle Iroh an annoyed glance over his shoulder and looks back to Azula to find that she has done the same thing. I don't believe you, Azula insists. Then touch my hand, Zuko suggests. Well, how did Prince Poltergeist mess up dying? Sokka asks. Zuko throws him an annoyed glance, too. I suspect, Uncle Iroh says slowly and carefully, that it has less to do with Zuko and more to do with the circumstances of his death. Zuko frowns. He turns his head to look to Uncle Iroh. The Agni Kai? he asks. What? Azula asks. That was three years ago. Uncle Iroh looks at them both. Zuko's hand falls back to his side. Azula, Uncle Iroh says, his voice soft. I'm afraid this has been going on rather a long time. When Azula only glares, Uncle Iroh turns back to the Avatar. I had hoped that you would understand my nephew's predicament. I have traveled far and wide seeking answers. The only suggestion I have heard, and it is only a glimmer of a suggestion, is that Agni himself may have been angered by the circumstances of Prince Zuko's death. Why would Agni be? Zuko starts. Azula's hand passes through Zuko's. 
and it feels cold and sharp. Zuko gasps, brought out of the moment's eons. The children stare. Did he just... Toph asks, confused. I had a heartbeat and feet on the ground, and now nothing. What happened? My nephew fades sometimes when he is touched skin to skin, Iroh explains. I had thought him to be over this since he is now aware of his predicament. Azula continues staring, one hand still extended. It had passed like Zuko's skin like he was made of air and thought, not of flesh and bones. I didn't tell him, the Avatar suddenly declares. When Azula looks up, the Avatar had one hand on his forehead. I was supposed to tell him. Avatar Roku said that he needs to fight. I was supposed to tell him. I believe he will be back, Avatar Aang, Iroh says in a calming tone. It seems he has not moved on as we had hoped. I will pass on your message, should I have the chance. And if you would seek to understand how Zuko can leave the physical world, that would be most appreciated. Most appreciated, Iroh says to the Avatar, as if... Three years is a long time to be dead, Azula thinks. Three years ago, Azula had watched from a distance as Zuko's massive bolts had left port. She had seen him there. He had been writing her letters. He had been searching for the Avatar. But he died the night of the Agni Kai. And Uncle thinks that the circumstances of his death... Azula is suddenly, blisteringly furious. Luckily, she doesn't need to be reminded to fight. Zuko's mind returns to his body, and the first thing he feels is relief that the dream is back. He can escape again. The second thing he feels is nausea, because his mind might not remember what has occurred in its absence, but his body does. Much later, when Agni's blessing is leaving the sky, Zuko wonders why he cannot recall dreaming of his sister before tonight. He has dreamt of writing her letters, even of reading her responses, unpleasant as they usually are, but he has never seen her face. Zuko wonders what Azula really looks like now. And something in him must be feeling stronger, with the return of the dreaming and the return of his fire, because he finds himself asking a servant, How was my sister? The servant looks stunned for a moment. Zuko supposes that he never speaks to any of them, even when he is fully present. They must be used to his silence. Your sister, the servant asks eventually, not meeting Zuko's eyes. And Zuko remembers. They never call him by name. They must know, but they don't call him by name, let alone by title. They must know what happens here. There aren't many servants who are permitted to him. Zuko knows their faces, knows who will talk and who will remain silent. They must know. They tend to his body, and they leave when the Fire Lord is close. They know, and they do nothing. They don't even call him by name. Zuko was right to remain silent. His eyes shift away from the servant into the wall. He doesn't ask after Azula again. After they escape Azula, they don't see Zuko again. This upsets Aang, who is hoping to pass on Avatar Roku's message. And the fact that Aang is upset about the lack of angry spirit in their lives upsets Sokka, who would like to put the whole crazy Fire Nation royal family behind him, thank you very much. Which is why, when they find themselves in a spirit library, Sokka finds himself especially annoyed at his own brain. Ugh, he says, stopping in his tracks. Sokka? Katara asks, turning to face him. Sokka sighs deeply, pinching the bridge of his nose. I hate that I'm about to say this, but we're in a spirit library. Uh-huh, Aang says cheerfully, and then, as if he's worried that Wan Shi Tong is also he who hears 10,000 things, he adds, Seeking knowledge, for knowledge's sake! 
Yes, that, Sokka agrees, because you really can never tell with these spirits. And also, you know, when Aang and Katara continue to look blank, Sokka spends a moment despairing at everyone else's brains before he says, Aang, you should look for something to help Prince Angry Jerk. Aang's eyes widen. Right! Do you think we might find something here? You and Katara go find out. I'll find the Fire Nation section. Naturally, everything goes very wrong very fast. That's the only way anything happens in life anymore. But they do leave with two important pieces of knowledge before running for their lives. First, the day of the Black Sun is coming. They can and should invade the Fire Nation while the Fire Nation is at its weakest. And second, there is no way that Prince Zuko should have been able to walk into that spirit oasis, dead as a doornail, and not move on from the physical world. It's as good as walking through a doorway and finding yourself back on the same side. Something is very wrong with the Fire Prince, and it's not just he's been chasing them while dead. It is no longer easy for the prisoner to slip into the dream. Once upon a time, it was so simple that he would do it by accident while having his hair combed. It now requires struggle from Zuko's mind, but he has found the path to the dream. It is no longer locked away from him, so Zuko utilizes it when he needs to, when the sounds of the Fire Lord's footsteps echo in the hall. Zuko sits with Uncle Iroh on his way to Ba Sing Se. Uncle needs to escape from the Fire Lord, too, now that he has been branded a traitor. Uncle tells him what Avatar Roku has sent him a message. Zuko must fight. When Zuko asks what this means, Uncle Iroh has no solid answers. Perhaps he means that you must fight in the war, Uncle Iroh suggests. Or perhaps he simply means that you should not attempt to move on just yet. But Zuko doesn't want to fight in anyone's war. He's dead. Shouldn't he be able to stop fighting? And part of him wonders if it is treasonous, even in death, to suggest that he doesn't want to fight for the Fire Nation. Avatar Roku was a Fire Nation avatar. Perhaps he is trying to tell Zuko that fighting for their glory is still his duty, even in death. Zuko thinks of Princess Yue, who will spend eternity fulfilling her duty. Zuko can hardly bring himself to contemplate fighting in his death. Princess Yue hadn't even needed time to contemplate. Zuko follows Uncle Iroh into the impenetrable city. He follows the Dragon of the West past the walls that he has been unable to breach in battle. But this time, Iroh is here to escape a war, not to win one. Zuko thinks of Luten, who lost his life in the fight for this city. Zuko wonders why Luten merited death, and Zuko was found unworthy of it. But Zuko was always less worthy than Luten, and he thinks he does understand, just a little, why he is unworthy of death itself. Zuko follows Uncle Iroh all the way to Uncle Iroh's happiness, a tea shop serving the locals of Ba Sing Se. Zuko hasn't seen Uncle this content before. When Zuko needs to leave his room in the palace, it is to help Uncle serve tea in Ba Sing Se, and Zuko cannot think of a better dream. And Zuko remembers more and more. Zuko, Uncle Iroh calls. I think it's boiled now. Zuko blinks and then looks down at his hands. He's been overboiling the water again. Zuko sighs and dumps it out, beginning the process again. This keeps happening. Zuko feels like he's slipping back into his mind. Zuko loves it here, in Uncle's tea shop, but he is remembering more and more, and so he is rarely able to hold on to the lie that this is the only thing he knows. There is an elsewhere, an other place, where Zuko exists when he isn't here, and something terrible happens when there. But when Zuko tries to grasp it, 
tries to understand what it is about that place that fills him with dread and horror and revulsion. It whispers through his fingers and is gone. He drifts somehow, between the here and the there. The water is the correct temperature. It's not always easy for Zuko to control, because his fire is a confused, weak thing. Zuko removes his hands from the teapot and pours the water over the leaves. Uncle? he asks and receives a distracted hum in response. Do the spirits sometimes punish or reward people in the physical world? Uncle Iroh pauses in his writing. Zuko looks up and behind him to find that Uncle Iroh is frowning at him. Why do you ask? Zuko looks away. He thinks it is obvious why he is asking, so he only shrugs in response. Uncle Iroh pauses for a long time and then explains. The spirits rarely see fit to interfere in the physical world, but sometimes they do. He pauses and adds with gravity when they are offended. Zuko feels his muscles tense, feels his heart beat more quickly, and is annoyed at both these responses. Surely he should be beyond experiencing physical reactions by now. I understand, Zuko replies, and thinks about the other place, and thinks about what Uncle Iroh has almost said to him, and Azula, and the Avatar. Agni had been angered by the circumstances of Zuko's death. Zuko is being punished. Zuko can always feel the tug back to the other place now. He doesn't want to go, but he knows that he cannot stay in the tea shop. Zuko awakens in the room, a prisoner, again and again. Time passes. The moon waxes and wanes. Uncle Iroh is captured. Zuko isn't there while it happens. The guilt pulls at him while he slips from the other place, looking for his uncle, only to find him in a prison cell. What happened? Zuko asks, kneeling by his uncle's side. Uncle Iroh lifts a hand to quiet Zuko, then glances back towards the guarded door. You must not be here, he says in a hushed voice. It is not safe for you here. You must leave. I'm dead, Zuko responds. Nowhere isn't safe for me. I can probably get the keys for... Leave, Uncle Iroh insists. Zuko continues to plead, quietly now, to appease his uncle but Iroh only turns away and ignores him. Zuko's anger bursts. Fire sputters from his palms. But if he makes a noise, the guards will assume it is uncle, and will use this as an excuse to. Zuko stands, defeated. He looks at Uncle Iroh for a long moment, and then accepts that he has to return to the other place. He returns too early. Zuko squeezes his eyes shut and tries to pretend that nothing is happening, but he also cannot slip away in his mind because he is not welcome in the dream. Zuko is afraid to return to the dream. For the first time in all of his years of dreaming up freedom, Uncle has told him to leave and does not want him to return. And the dream has always been with Uncle, on the Wani, at the ports, in the North Pole, in the Earth Kingdom as a refugee. Zuko doesn't know how to attach his dream to anyone else. But Zuko is not welcome within the dreams of Uncle Iroh, and he does not want to face rejection from him again, even if it's a rejection that only exists in his mind. So Zuko tries one evening to dream himself somewhere else. Zuko? Zuko opens his eyes. He's on a beach. He's left the other place, which fades behind him, a nightmare half-remembered. But he has landed in a different area of the physical world. This is good. He won't return to Uncle until he thinks he will be welcome again. Hello, Azula, Zuko says. He offers her a smile. This is Ember Island, he realizes. 
Azula is on Ember Island, where they played as children. Things were uncomplicated back then. Azula would follow Zuko around wherever he went, and Mother would read them stories, and Father... Zuko doesn't want to think about Father. A shudder crawls through his spine. Azula scowls at him. What are you doing here? She asks. Zuko goes to shrug before he realizes that she might be an important source of information. Uncle is imprisoned, he states. Did you know this? Azula rolls her eyes and wanders closer to Zuko. The wind from the sea tosses her hair, which is partly down for once. Zuko thinks it makes her look younger. His own short hair catches in the breeze, and Zuko glances up at Yue in the dark sky. Of course I knew. I put him there. What? Zuko scowls at Azula. Why would you do that? He's a traitor to the Fire Nation. Why do you care? Shouldn't you be worried about, I don't know, dying? Azula's words sound light, but her expression is serious. She looks far too pale in the moonlight. Zuko shakes his head. Avatar Roku said I need to fight. Azula hums. Well, I suppose a ghost warrior could be useful, she admits. You could be a good distraction while remaining unharmed. I don't think, Zuko starts, then catches himself. Never mind. Azula sighs in annoyance, and then sits herself in the sand and nods to the space next to her. Zuko sits next to his sister, and all the things he wants to say, things about how she needs to free their uncle, things about how he regrets letting Azula push him away and not trying harder to be a better brother, they all wither and die on his tongue. Nothing he says here will change anything, but it's better to be here than the other place, even if Zuko can never quite remember why. I think I know why I'm here, he says instead. When Azula only frowns at him, he explains, why I didn't die right. Trust you to be bad at dying, Azula says, and Zuko smiles at her, because he remembers imagining that she would say something like this. Well, what is it then? Zuko looks back to the sea, and then back to the moon. I'm being punished, he explains. It was harder when Zuko wanted to say this to Uncle Iroh. That was the problem with being loved. Zuko can be honest with Azula, because with Azula he has nothing left to lose. I'm being punished, Zuko says, for the Agni Kai. It should be an honorable death, but I refuse to fight. You can't refuse to fight and then die in honor. So Agni refused to take me, at least completely. Azula is silent next to him. The breeze picks up again. Eventually, Zuko looks over at his sister. Azula isn't doing anything special, like scowling or glaring. But Zuko knows her better than that, even after three years of being dead and far away. And he knows that Azula's expression, being carefully blank, speaks volumes more about her anger. You are an idiot, she states, and then stands and leaves him. Zuko blinks, watching her retreat. And then he looks back to the moon, to Princess Yue, and tries to stay in the physical world for as long as he can, before the other place comes to him. Zuko is unwanted by the dream of Uncle Iroh, and unwanted by the dream of Azula, but he cannot bring himself to try to attach to a dream of his father. The thought makes him nauseous, and Zuko doesn't know many other living people. Mai and Tai Li were his friends once, sort of, but he might only manage to dream them with Azula. He thinks about other people he knows, but the palace servants, he can't imagine them, because some of them know and they. It's a little pathetic, Zuko realizes, but the truth is that Zuko doesn't even know where he will be welcome in his own dreams. So for a while, Zuko refrains from dreaming, but it cannot last. 
He can't stay here in his own head, pretending that nothing is happening without being able to slip away from it. He can't do it. He isn't strong enough. Zuko wonders if he could try a place instead of a person. This is how Zuko finds himself dreaming of the spirit oasis. He arrives there suddenly, more solidly than he usually dreams. And then Zuko shakes his head, confused. Is he dreaming? And he remembers that this isn't a dream at all. This is the physical world. The other place might not be the physical world. It is where Agni wishes to keep him. He's so confused. His head feels too full most days, like he remembers too much but also doesn't remember nearly enough. Zuko looks out at the spirit water, at the koi fish swimming around one another, and sits at the edge of the water. Zuko breathes. He is alone and he is safe. He can relax here like he could relax in the tea shop in Ba Sing Se. Zuko. Zuko opens his eyes and turns to find that he isn't alone. Yue? Princess Yue smiles at him as she joins him at the water's edge. This must be a dream, Zuko realizes. It doesn't make sense for Princess Yue to be here again. But why would Zuko be dreaming? Zuko is dead, and the dead don't dream, do they? How can you be here? he asks. Yue tilts her head. I'm here the same way you are, I suppose, she suggests, and that neither of us is really here. Zuko nods, because that seems as good an explanation as any. Yue reaches over and takes Zuko's hand, and her skin is warm in his, even though neither of them are really present at all. I owe you an apology, Yue says, her voice careful. Zuko frowns. You do not. I do, Yue argues. I told you to let go. That was bad advice. Just because I can't let go doesn't make it bad advice, Zuko responds. You didn't know that I was being kept here. Yue is quiet for a long moment, and then she squeezes his hand. You mean being kept there, she corrects him. This is where you're free. Zuko turns to face her more fully. I mean, he starts before realizing that he doesn't really know what he means. I mean being kept from death. Yui's expression shifts into a frown. Zuko, she says very patiently, what do you think is happening? I'm being punished, Zuko explains again to another sister. There was an Agni Kai. It's a firebending duel for the sake of honor under the eye of Agni himself. Zuko cuts himself off realizing that he's trying to explain matters of the spirits to a spirit. He clears his throat. I refused to fight, and I died without honor. Yue is shaking her head. Her white hair catches in the starlight. You are not being punished, Zuko, she explains. You were wrong before when you told me that this was your curse. This isn't a curse. You have been given a gift. Zuko stares at Yue, and he feels his face shifting into a scowl. He pulls his hand back from hers. I do not want this gift. Zuko, Yue says, I fear you've deeply misunderstood what is happening to you. Then explain it to me, Zuko insists. Yue takes both of his hands this time. Listen to me, she insists. This might be difficult for you to remember when you wake up, so please listen carefully. When he wakes up, but this isn't a... You are not dead, Crown Prince Zuko of the Fire Nation. You did not die in your Agni Kai. But the Sun Spirit was angry, is angry, and has given you the blessing of escape. No, Zuko says, because she doesn't understand. The other place. The other place is real, Yui insists, her voice insistent. You are going to wake up soon, and you need to remember this. Please try to remember. You need to fight. 
You will never escape, really escape, if you don't fight. Please, Zuko. Please fight. Zuko wakes up shaking.